Welcome to Veterans State of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones, and today I am joined by my writing partner, one of, Nate Boyer, He's a great friend of mine. Nate is a former Green Beret, played f- football for the Texas Longhorns and then for the Seattle Seahawks. He's the founder and whatever the word is for someone that runs a charity of uh, MVP, Merging Vets and Players, which is, as you may have know, the same name as the film that we wrote together. Um, film came out last year and um, we haven't sat down and talked about it yet. So we have a bit of a catch up about the film today. I wanted to give you guys a bit more background on it and also kind of like what um, a little bit of the process and um, a little bit more about um, how, how, it all came, how it all kind of came around and came together. Um, Nate's a really good friend of mine and um, for those of you who've seen the film, appreciate it very much. Um, we'll talk a bit more at the end of the episode about how you can watch it, where you can watch it if you haven't seen it yet and if it sounds like something you'd be interested in. If you enjoy this podcast, then I do think the film would interest you. Um, before we jump into it, I just want to let you know that I also have a book out at the moment, which I co-wrote with Leveson Wood. It's uh, called Escape from Kabul, and it's about the events in August 2021, um, including what led up to them um, during the Taliban's takeover of the country, and then Operation Pitting, which was the operation to get people out there. We had interviews with... Uh, a lot of interviews from two para the CEO, private soldiers. We had interviews with politicians. We had interviews with journalists. We had interviews with Afghans. We had interviews with U.S. Marines, U.S. soldiers, um, U.S. Navy nurse. You know, we've got all kinds of interviews in there. And what Leveson and I did our best to do was to kind of put context around those. Um, but really, it's the story of the people, people who were on the ground um, and the people who went through what was... I mean, we all saw it on the news, but... Um, and we, you know, kind of gave us some idea of what was happening there. But it really is, I think, like an unprecedented event in our lifetimes. Um, it was a privilege to cover it, an honor to cover it. And uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who's who's read it so far. And thank you for your messages about it. It means a lot. So thank you for that. Um, linked up in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. And uh, thank you to the Patreons for supporting the podcast. You can do so for as little as a pound a month. If you want to join... You don't get anything special for it, really. You just make the podcast happen. So that is your reward, having a podcast. Um, and um, yeah, for those of you who do that, thank you very much. As you can see, we're getting back to more regular episodes after I had to have a bit of a hiatus because we've had a crazy few months with with work going on. But thank you guys for um, waiting through the lull and uh, we'll be keeping the episodes coming regularly now. So uh, without further ado, please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Nate Boyer. Nate, welcome back to the podcast, brother. It's been a while. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm excellent, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. It's going to be cool. Excellent. Dude, yeah. that was very uh, Bill and Ted's of you. Yeah. Appreciate oh, actually, that. so I, I, I actually, for the, I've decided I bought, um, I ordered myself a Wayne's World cap today as well. Oh, that's sick. For our, Yeah, because I just thought like, you know, I've got the hair now. I thought I'd get the Wayne's World cap, and then that's what I'm going to wear to the screening when we go to the Marine Corps base. Because I figure the hierarchy will love Wayne's World cap and long hair. Might give some of them heart attacks. Well, actually, it turned out. Yeah, well, no, so, I'm all for it. So we're going. Where are we going to be going? We're going to two seven, right? Yeah, two seven, twenty nine palms. So if we have any listeners at twenty pounds, twenty nine palms, please come say hello when we're out there. Um, I'm so well, maybe let's talk about the movie, man. 
Um, we, <laughs> we're not doing very, like, well, I say we're not doing, I'm not doing a very good job of promoting this movie here, mate, because the movie came out six months ago. <laughs> we're only just doing the podcast, all right? So, uh, it's all right. You're doing it now, brother. You did, but you, you, you promoted it in other ways, man. Uh, I know you got a lot going on. I dropped your, it. I dropped it with Jack yeah. the other day as requested as well. Oh, I appreciate it, dude. Jack's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, he is. We had, we had a great time. Um, that's Jack Carr for anyone listening. Um, his podcast, Danger Close podcast, really good. Um, he did an episode with Nate, which was one of the best episodes, honestly, because, I mean, it's, you know, Nate, but you did okay, bro. I think it was at LAX. You, you like, were. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to pin you down, though, mate. You are, like, you are constantly in motion. I'm starting to think you're a wanted man. Yeah, no, I am. Just not by uh, beautiful women. Yeah, <laughs> just what? Well, I know that's a lie. I know that's a lie. All right, bro. So, let's talk about the movie, man. Let's talk about let's 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 talk about it from from birth to where we're at, kind of now with it. So, I've kind of mentioned this a little bit before, so I won't go too far into it. But we got introduced by our mutual friend Tim. Um, at the Veterans Project, which is awesome, if anyone hasn't checked it out. It's included a lot of very handsome men like me, Nate, Rudy Reyes, Paul DeGelder. I think Jesse has been in there too. Jesse Phillips, you know, so basically really, really ruggedly handsome gentlemen on this, uh, <laughs> in this thing. So I, I think Tim introduced us. And then um, we did our workout at MVP, which is your organization, your charity. And... Um, then we started bouncing some ideas around, and then we got together at Gareth uh, Gareth's place, um, up in the up in the hills. We sat down. We worked on the script. So just let people know, like, where the idea for the story came from. Like, what was it? What 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 was it all kind of based in? Was it based in fiction, reality? Where where where, where what's the genesis of the idea? I I remember. I'm not sure if this is the first time we met, but I remember you, you you'd come to, you'd come to multiple MVP sessions. No, I've come, right? I came to one. I came to the barbecue after. You only the, came to one? Yeah, I only came to one, bro. Okay. I don't like, I don't like working out, bro. Come on. I came once just to, <laughs> just to shake your hand and then lure you into oh a movie. Oh my God. I know. That's all oh me. That's, my God. that's all I needed. One well, date. I, you're, so, you're, you're easy, bro. That's all I needed. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, well, you, you know, you're so memorable. I felt like you were there a hundred times. <laughs> uh, I, well, I remember you, whether it was that day or another day later, I can't, or another time later, I can't remember when exactly, but I remember you had said, you know, I, Hey, I think, I think there's like a movie here, uh, you know, about this story about MVP. So for those that don't know, MVP stands for merging vets and players. It's a nonprofit organization where we bring together combat vets and former pro athletes help them find purpose and identity when they lose a uniform we've got eight chapters now around the country la was the first one back when i met guys this was i don't think we even had it maybe had a vegas chapter at the time i think you had the vegas one because you had randy on board we were pretty young though because we started in really in 2016 and i think i met you in 17 or 18 17 i I don't remember exactly it was 17 yeah 17 okay so yeah we had probably just started up in vegas as well and you know, what we do on a weekly basis, we meet up in the gym, we train for about 30 to 45 minutes. It's, it's, uh, challenging, but not something, I mean, it's something that anybody could do. It just, you get a good sweat going. It's not like we're in there throwing heavy weight around. We're just getting after it, kind of smoking, uh, smoking each other. Like we did, you know, in the military and trying to kind of 
build build the camaraderie through uh some some uh some physical exertion some endorphins being released uh making people feel sort of connected and comfortable uh with being vulnerable because afterwards we'll transition to the wrestling mats we'll huddle up and we just have a you know open forum peer-to-peer coaching session where people can air out their grievances they can talk shit they can do whatever they want uh but it's really just about kind of reconnecting the tribe and making sure everyone knows we still have that community uh, and camaraderie and we're all there to support one another you know regardless of what we got going on um so as you mentioned you know he came up to a huddle and then you know he followed up and said i think that there's like a i think this is like a movie or and i i was like it's funny because i had recently Jay Glazer and I, who I co-founded it with, uh, Jay was a Fox uh, Fox NFL personality. For those who don't know, but we had uh, we had actually taken some meetings, like some pitch meetings with like YouTube and uh, where else did we go? I can't even remember. Maybe Yahoo, a few places that were interested in doing some sort of a unscripted series about this, but it's a little tough to just you know to follow these folks around with cameras and kind of capture this because it, you'll lose the authenticity of what we're doing. You'll kind of lose that. A lot of people aren't going to want to open up. I mean, especially the vets, but athletes too, like they're not going to be raw if they've got, you know, a bunch of cameras in their face and they know that this is going to be on the internet or, or on a, you know, a streaming platform or something like that. So it just didn't really make sense. And, uh, but we wanted to find a way to tell the story. And when you suggested that, I, I remember thinking like, yeah, I mean, that's, cool idea but like what what is the movie like what do you mean like what's how do we how do we tell the story because it's it's not like it, it i mean story telling is challenging as it is but making something into a a movie that's under two hours and, and kind of captures the essence of what we are at mdp it's soft it, it feels like a documentary out, out the gate when people are like you know would suggest it talk about it so uh, so I remember when we, when we met, like what we first wrote, really what you first wrote, because you you really did bang out the the outline, the first draft, and kind of ran with it. Is it's it's funny because it's it was it was good, it was really entertaining, but it was so different than what we ended up shooting. And ironically, what we ended up shooting was so much closer to what MVP actually is, because I think when we first started having those conversations, we we're like, well, it's got to be we've got to grab the audience and it's got to be, it's got to have a little more thrills and a little more like of the, um, you know, the, the sort of an action element to it. Um, and, and I think I remember thinking, well, our story just as it is probably isn't enough to be interesting to an audience. And, and so, you know, what you sort of crafted from there was a story based on these people um, but a very different story, you know, a very different script. Um, but then once we, once we had that and we felt it was in a pretty good place, I remember remember we were working with, uh, I'm still in touch with a uh, guy named Aaron, Aaron Rapke and Stu. Mm. Um, I can't remember Stu's last name. And they were kind of helping us, yeah, they were great, you know, yeah. with the beats and the plot points and like whatever. And so we got to that. And then once we had that draft, you know, I shared it with um, some other folks in the industry, like Jordan Levin, uh, who used to run, TV side of WB and was the chief content officer of the NFL. 
Uh, I ran it by Braden Affigood, who's Sylvester Stallone's producing partner. They ended up working with us on it. You know, and all of them were like, why don't you just tell the real story of MVP? And (laughs) we're like, but like, how? What do you mean? Like, what? And uh, from there, we kind of worked backwards. And I mean, we had the bones, like what you built as far as the bones were already there, like the backdrop of it being in Hollywood, the dichotomy and like the, the, uh, juxtaposition of you know this city of glitz and glam and and these veterans that are living in this shelter you know and then an nfl player who was part of that glitz and glam and now you know he lives in the hills with a family but he's not part of that show anymore and he just feels completely empty and sort of lost and you know that those two guys having that common connection and bond and coming together that was all already there. It was just like the other elements that we had to adjust and kind of just go back to, to really how it all started. So, you know, it's a really long winded answer, but, uh, you know, the, the, that's how it came about. I mean, really it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't just approached me and suggested it. I I honestly was, I was cutting my teeth as best I could in the film and television world, got some, some, you know, good opportunities and some acting gigs and, did an internship at film 44 kind of learned some of the development process. But at the time when you brought that up, I'd never thought of, of creating a story, much less a story of, uh, you know, the MVP, like making that a movie. Um, but it ended up being not only necessary, I think, but probably the perfect project for me to really start out doing because I'm so familiar with, with, those two experiences yeah i want to pull a few things out of there so for people like people obviously know sylvester stallone is but um you'll know Braden Aftergood by his movies um hell or high water which is one of my favorite favorite movies just absolutely brilliant and uh, wind river you know like also a brilliant movie um and you know like, so it's it's a, it's a funny one because we you know we got the first draft done super quick but oh my god, we did so Super quick because Gez because Gez wrote a hundred and twenty page script in like two days. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you did it. But I'll t- <laughs> I'll tell you how I did it, bro. So I've done like so Gareth's moved house now. So Gareth and his wife Kat, they live up in um or they did at the time lived up in this amazing Hills house, and um they'd be good enough to let me stay there. And you know I'd be sat up in the hills, Hollywood Hills, overlooking L.A., and you're surrounded by these beautiful houses next to a swimming pool, and I'm like. I really want one of these. <laughs> so uh, when you're in that environment, it's very easy to motivate <laughs> yourself. But it, it was it was so cool for us because we were just, you know, sitting up like, you know, we had the, when the guys came up, you know, Stu and those guys, you know, to be able to do that. So, I mean, re- I'm really grateful to, to Gaz and Kat. And Gaz was able to come to the premiere as well, which was, which was awesome. Um, you know, because again, like it wouldn't have happened if they weren't letting me stay at their place at the time. You know, like that's, you know how all these things happen is is right. people doing you people doing you favors is is how like so much shit gets happened, but like yeah we I mean we, you know we did so many different well, we had to we had to survive that dog you know that was the oh that was the Holly <laughs> Holly dog yeah I'm looking for I'm gonna be seeing I'm gonna be going there um I'm gonna be seeing Holly dog in uh, in a week or two so I'm looking forward to to reconnecting with Holly dog and going on some walks and murdering some hookers with her you know because that's how we yeah, get down Holly weighs about two and a half pounds she's so cute she's so cute i mean like yeah she's 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 a little munchkin um but yeah we we, so we did we know like in 
this in in between doing that first draft and then the final script, there were so many rewrites and stuff, which was cool because it's it's really challenging to to change something once it's been made. So I think we both learned a lot on that kind of side of thing. And like you said, we were really lucky to have people kind of um, giving us notes, guiding us through it. People that had been there and and done that. And there was one. There's one thing I also wanted to say as well about what you were just talking about then, but I can't remember what it was now. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're real quick on the on the on the brain thing. I mean, yeah, you mentioned it like. Heller Highwater, Wind River. He he was younger in his career. He worked on Lone Survivor, um, and then you know since since linking up with Stallone, it's been some of the more recent projects like the like the Creed series, the Last Rambo film, stuff like that. But but Braden, so Heller Highwater was written by Taylor Sheridan, and then mm. Wind, Wind River was written and directed by Taylor Sheridan. So then this is all before the Yellowstone Empire and all mm. that stuff. He obviously made Sicario, Sicario prior yeah. to both of those. But it was cool. So like, Bra- you know, Braden had sort of um, helped, I don't want to say launch this guy's career because Taylor did that, you know, I mean, Taylor's a brilliant writer. Oh yeah. But like really helped cultivate it in- into what it is now. And uh, before he went over to to Balboa and it, it, it was really like, and it still is, um, I hate the word, I hate when people say, I'm really humbled. It's not humbling. It's like, it's the opposite of humbling. It's like fucking dope. Uh, yeah, gives you a big ego injection. Um, when like somebody that doesn't, somebody like that who there's nothing to gain from him helping us make MVP, not financially anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like with yeah. the big stuff he's doing, but he just genuinely cared about the story. He wanted to make sure whether he was involved or not that we were on the right track and that we had the support necessary. And, you know, I remember him reaching out once he took, he knew about the script. I think he'd, I don't know if he'd even read a draft yet, but he knew about the script, but he reached out, um, to me, this was in 2018 or maybe even 19. It was later in the game. It was after we'd kind of shelved it for a bit and we're just like, well, I don't know what we're going to do, but it's, you know, script's not quite there. We're trying to figure it out. Um, and we're not sure what, you know, what it would actually cost. And Braden reached out because he had taken, he had partnered with Sly, taken the reins at Balboa and was like, Hey, send me that MVP script, man. Like, I want to, I want to check it out. Like I just took this new job, you know, Stallone's looking for various projects. Um, and you know, he loves what you're doing at MVP because he'd been to a session before he'd been, he's been to as many sessions as I uh, guess. Uh, so. <laughs> the question is who's got the bigger arms Stallone Stallone has the bigger arms yeah Stallone Stallone's the bigger everything <laughs> uh, so he uh, but yeah you know he was like send me the send me what you got so he sent it so that's, that's how that all started when he took that job over there and then you know at the time originally like he helped with his, with it. somebody did him a favor and put it drew out drew up like an initial budget and I think it was like three or four million bucks, you know, initially, <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, you know, they were, it was, they were going to try to have more like, like A-listers in it and do this whole thing. And then, um, as things progressed, like it was just, it was just tough to kind of figure that out. I ended up working, working the script, uh, into a different sort of a different space and getting the budget down to like a million and a half bucks. And we were going to start. Uh, trying to make some attachments and fundraise for that. And then freaking COVID hit 
And at that, you know, by that time it was like, uh, well, this thing's never going to happen in my mind. Um, and I'm still like still working on it, trying to get it down to a more organic, uh, like authentic. I hate using all these words, but I'm using all of them, but just like the real, the real story of MVP, how MVP started, which is pretty close. What we, the story we told is pretty close to how it actually started, which is cool. We have composite characters that we built mm-hmm. in, for the two leads so that it's not, cause it's not, I, we didn't want to tell anybody's actual legit real story, except for the, some of the actors in it who kind of told their own stories, which are very real. Um, and the basis, the genesis for how MVP started, but like, I didn't want to, you know, we wanted to make sure that this is not the story of X person or Y person. This is the story of this organization. So we kind of, you know, built out those, uh, those composite characters, especially the Will Phillips character, the, the NFL player. That's a, that's quite an amalgamation of a lot of people. Um, but they're all real people and real stories. Uh, so once it got to there and then, then COVID hit, and then I found out they were going to shut down that, that veterans shelter. That, yeah. So tell, tell, tell people about the barracks. Yeah. So, okay. When I got cut from the Seahawks, um, I moved back to LA. I finished an internship. I finished my master's degree by doing an internship with, with Peter Berg at film 44. That's where I met Brady. Peter Berg had directed Lone Survivor and Friday Night Lights and a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, I know I'm interested in the film stuff, but I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly. I considered going back to the military. I just wasn't sure. And, and Jay Glazer, who I'd met, helped train me for that opportunity to get to the NFL, had his gym on Breakable Performance Center, which you can also see in the film because we shot on location there. He said, hey, let's bring, let's bring people like vets and athletes together. You know, we'll, we'll do, we'll do this, we'll start this organization. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but I know these guys have a similar struggle and you can relate to that locker room and on both sides. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Not long after I get an invite from a guy named Jim Zenner, um, who's portrayed in the film by, uh, Dan Loria. Uh, Dan Loria is the, he's a dad in the wonder years kind of famously, but he's been in a lot of stuff, but he's also a Vietnam vet. Um, and, and, uh, you know, played Vince Lombardi on Broadway. So I knew he was a football fan. So mm-hmm. it kind of made sense. This Jim Zenner person, the real person, used to, he, he, he was homeless for a bit. Um, he's a veteran. He was homeless for a bit, uh, and, and eventually dug himself out of that hole. And like, man, I, I don't want, I, I always, I felt like I never had a place to go. You know, there was the VA. Yes. But like, I, I just, that that's for a different type of care. And I felt like I needed, I just, I needed for my situation and everybody's situation is different. Um, I needed some place that felt like a, a, a transition house of some type to kind of reaffirmate me to society. You know, and I was, he was dealing with addiction issues and some other things it's like, you know, kind of a clean living environment. So he started this, uh, he started this Hollywood vet center and it was had support from the volunteers of America and the VA. And, uh, you know, he, he wanted to feel like a barracks and, uh, so he had reached out to me. We connected. Um, he kind of heard about a bit about my story and said, Hey, you got to come down and check this place out sometime. So I go down to the, to the barracks and I'm just like blown away. Cause it's, there's like 48 bunks in this place. They're always full. It's all veterans living there. And most of them were combat vets and most, and most of them were in the infantry. 
And I was like, this is so crazy that these guys come back after going to war and then they just don't feel like they can transition and like have a home and they feel like they're sort of stuck and they need to, uh, they, 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 a lot of them came from like tough background and experiences and, and, uh, um, you know, they, they weren't able to, uh, they weren't able to move forward and, and, and kind of, I don't know, they, they, like imagine, imagine growing up in a, in like a tough neighborhood, tough situation, say, you know, fe- no family or minimum, minimum contact with your family. When you join the military, you have this brotherhood, you have like all these, you know, structural things set out for you. Um, even your meals are sort of planned and, you know, uh, you have a purpose and you have this uniform and all these things. And then that's all like taken away from you at once. And you go back to your old neighborhood and now you even feel more of a lack of purpose because you had one and everyone else there is kind of in the same place. It's just easy to get stuck and, and sort of get in your own way. And so it happened to a lot of these folks. So I'm like meeting these guys. Uh, one of them in particular that I met uh, was a guy named Denver Morris who helped us really build MVP and is now living in Dallas, running our Dallas chapter and our national outreach manager here, which is pretty awesome. But when I first met Denver, like it did not really go well. <laughs> and we tried to kind of portray that in the film as well. Like he was, he was like, who the hell are you? Why are you here? Um, I, you know, I'm not a charity case. I don't need somebody to come rescue me. Uh, and you know, a lot of pride and but at the same time, like a lot of passion and somebody that did want to move forward and kind of get out of that situation. So after I left, he just kind of stuck in my head and I was like, I felt guilty. I was like, man, I, you know, I did, that was kind of, you know, the way I sort of approached that situation. Like, you know, I'm down there doing like a, like a meet and greet, like a visit with these guys. And it's like, they're like, fuck you, dude. Like, who are you? Why are you here? And, uh, so I felt kind of guilty about that. And Thankfully, Denver emailed me the next day. He like uh, asked Jim for my contact and shot me a note and just said, he apologized and said, Hey man, I'm sorry if I rub, rub you the wrong way. Like I just, you know, kind of dealing with some shit. It was an anniversary of a buddy's death. And, uh, also like, I just didn't really understand who you were or whatever. And so we ended up getting lunch. Um, and he told me a bit about his story and when he'd been in a part of this battalion, uh, in two seven Marines, uh, infantry unit that had lost 29 guys on back-to-back deployments. And at the time, I think he'd lost about 34 or so to suicide since 2010. And this is in 2016 when I met him. Unfortunately, now that number is up to like 56, uh, or so as we, and we sit today. So it's still, um, happening at quite a rate. And when you think about a Marine battalion, it's like somewhere between 700 and a thousand guys. It's not that many. To lose that many to suicide is like insane, but he, you know, and he, he, he himself had attempted suicide three times and had just, uh, and he actually died once, right? He was brought back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He overdosed on a beach in, uh, in, at El Capitan state beach up in, uh, up the, in the Ventura coast and, uh, was found by a couple of surfers and they saved his life. You know, we sort of portray that in the opening shot of the movie actually, um, so it was like, you know, meeting this guy and 
this whole situation. And he ended up bringing, I, I said, come up to the gym. Let's like, get a workout in, bring some of the guys from the barracks. You know, I asked Jay if that was cool. And Jay said, yeah, just bring them up on a Sunday. We're closed anyway. It's all yours. So <laughs> I brought them up. He brought like six of his buddies that were living in the barracks. And it was, some of them hadn't worked out in a while. <laughs> so we kind of got after it a little bit. And, and then afterwards, you know, because they'd all, we'd all pushed ourselves together. They, they sort of, uh, and, and just felt, uh, comfortable and kind of open to, you know, talk about some stuff. We went and got a, grabbed a bite to eat and we went downstairs to the pink taco and got some, oh, yeah. got some grub or something. And, uh, and they were all like, uh, sort of talking about, you know, what, where they felt stuck and all these things. And I was like, damn, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. This is good. Like this is what these guys need. They also felt a little out of place. Like, well, I don't know if I belong in this like gym. It's like, what are you talking about? Dude? Why? Who, who's better than you? Why would you think that? Cause it costs a lot of money to go there. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't so much that it was a, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, it is a pretty nice. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what the fee is, but fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't show These guys weren't charged, but anyway, the next week, uh, I, you know, I told Jay about it next week, Jay brings like Randy Couture and, Tony Gonzalez up to the gym with them. And then Denver brought some of these guys back up and we all worked out together and then huddled up af afterwards and just kind of hung out on the wrestling mats and talked about it. And, you know, thus MVP was born mm -hmm. and from there, Denver really helped build, build it, especially in the veteran community and get, get a bunch of people on the door. So, so that's essentially the, the core of the story we ended up telling uh, in the movie, uh, was sort of how it all started. Uh, and we, you know, we, we took, I don't want to say creative liberties because that sounds like we made stuff up. We didn't make anything up. We just kind of combined characters together, um, and made it into a sort of a more cohesive film where in the story, it's a NFL player first year out of the league. Um, and he was a first round draft pick that he never really, uh, his career never really formulated the way that he had, he had hoped it, it uh, he dealt with a lot of injuries and trades and he was on bad teams. And so in his mind, more than anywhere else, he feels like a boss. But just, just, just to, just to, just to make yeah. a point there though, mate, you have former first round picks from the NFL that come to MVP. So again, Oh, a hundred percent. So it's not a, again, we're not, we're not stretching anything here. This is all based in, in fact. And, and in, this is very, very true. Everything, everything is, is, is pulled together in there from, from fact, you know, because I, I think that's because I mean, I, I think maybe that's what some people think when they watch it is go like, okay, the veteran side's probably true, but the NFL side's probably a bit. No, all of it, all of it based yeah, in reality. No, in some ways, and honestly, in some ways, the athlete character that is even more um, of the actual experience because I think a lot of veteran, veterans have, first of all, there's a lot more of us. There's, at least in the States, there's know, 20 million vets or something. There's a lot. Um, and on the athlete side, former pro athletes, I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot less than that. You know, it's a fraction. Is it like 30,000 come out of college every year? Uh, I don't know the number. Like and, um, college football players, something like that, I think. Like in, including all, all programs? I don't know the number out of college, which is so interesting to think about because like now that they're getting they're getting paid as professionals. Like, do they qualify as pro athletes now that the NIL has changed? Yeah, I don't point. know. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but. Well, I mean, let's think about the NFL is that the, there's like 32 teams with a roster of 53 
players, right? Yes. So I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not good at maths, but that's like what 1,500 people or something. Yeah, it's something like that. It, it, exactly. It's not many, you know, I mean, it, it, it's almost like it's almost like you know, it's almost just like tier one. It's like equivalent to like tier one kind of. Yeah, and numbers. every year they probably add. They probably add five to ten rookies, which means five to ten guys got to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll say two hundred, probably two hundred, three hundred a year or so, um, are now leaving the game mm-hmm. uh, of football. You know, some of them played one game like I did, and some of them played for twenty-two years like Tom Brady. Like you, you know what I mean? It just depends. But most only get a few years. About three years is about the average, right? Yeah, the average is three years. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. So it's a pretty it's a pretty quick career, but you know when you look at the military side, the average is probably skewed because a lot of guys become career um, folks. But I would say the most common enlistment is probably just like a four year enlistment, yeah, definitely. which is kind of on par for a pro athlete career. Yeah. So it's yeah. like you're in your you're in your mid twenties, you know, and you're and and you're done, you know, mm-hmm. early twenties maybe even, and it's like you poured everything into this since you were a kid not all vets are that way um more more so on the athlete side where it's like i want to be an nfl player i'm eight years old that's all i want to do and i'm gonna go for it and then you know it either happens or it doesn't but um that yeah when that ends and it's crazy like the from the draft process if you look at the nfl most of the guys that become hall of famers are not first round draft picks Mm. most of them are just they, they 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 develop uh, later in their career, or they sort of peak uh, at a different time, you know. Um, there is a good amount of them that also were that, but there's a lot that are these first round pick. If you go look at, go look, go go if you're bored, go look at first round draft picks over the years. You won't even recognize in the last decade. You won't even recognize half the names on there. You're like, Whatever, who's this guy? What happened to this guy? And it's like it just they fizzle, man. It's just uh, it's tough, or they get banged up, or they just. It's not a good fit. You know, there's so many factors. Um, and imagine like having all that hype around you and then you just don't, you don't, uh, it doesn't work out and you just feel like, man, I, I'm a bust. I'm a loser. I was like given this golden ticket and I blew it. Like that has got to mess with you. You know, the number one, somebody told me this recently. Um, and, and I'm not sure that I, I didn't fact check this, but he was a silver medalist himself. So I believe it. Um, he said the number one uh, for Olympics uh, in the Olympics, the number one um, sort of trait of of Olympians who attempted or committed suicide are silver medalists. Oh, which is crazy because it's like you're the one of the best, but you didn't quite reach that goal. You know what I mean? You were so close to it, but you didn't quite. And I think that can probably be related to a lot by someone like the Will Phillips character that we, you know, uh, developed for MVP with the guy that was if he had first round draft pick, like college, you know, uh, all American and he gets the NFL and he plays like 11 years. That's awesome. You know, but he just never was the guy. He wasn't an all pro. He never won a Super Bowl. It, it, it feel to him in his mind that I am an absolute failure. I completely bust. I completely busted. I let everybody down. I'm a loser. And the reality is like, dude, <laughs> you live to have the dream of like everybody. And even if you never would have played at all, like to get as far as you've got is incredible and very, you know, there's a, there's, you should be proud of that, but it's so easy to say that to somebody. It's so hard to feel that. 
uh, on the other side of things. And veterans, a lot of veterans feel that, that way too. And especially ones that serve uh, at, at the highest levels because they'll never remember all the good stuff they did, how far they came, the lives they saved. They're, they'll only remember the time that they zigged when they should have zagged. Uh, and they made a decision that they thought was the best decision at the time. And it ended up, you know, being maybe costing somebody's life or whatever. And it's like, it's not their fault. They're doing the best that they can, but like, you can't help but feel that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I think that that's the similar connection, that feeling, obviously the, the stakes are very different. What we do on the battlefield and the ball field are completely different. We make sure and, you know, emphasize that in the film because it's important to, to know we're not comparing, you know, we're not comparing playing pro sports to going to war. It's not the same thing, but that, um, that experience and that, that feeling of inadequacy and the loss of the uniform and all that stuff, it is very similar. You, you mentioned a couple of names as well. I just want to say this to you. You mentioned Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer, Randy Couture, Hall of Famer. Both those guys are in the movie playing themselves. Um, yeah. So that, that was fucking super cool. Um, where, yeah. Oh, oh, what's the, and, and also so, real quick, on, so, yeah. I, I do want to mention too. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Jade Laser plays himself as well. Um, and some really cool am, uh, uh, cameos by like Rich Eisen, mm-hmm. uh, Howie Long, Michael Strahan, are all very connected to the NFL experience in the game. And for NFL fans, they know exactly who those people are, um, who play themselves and have these cameos. But a lesser known one is Jared Bunch, who I want to give a shout out to because mm-hmm. Jared, he plays Ray in the story, Ray Jones. Jared was, uh, he was a first round draft pick by the New York Giants. He played uh, fullback at Michigan back when he drafted fullbacks in the first round. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> That's crazy. You know, and he was a fullback for the Giants. He got hurt in his fourth year. He was, he was a rookie of the year for the team the first year yeah. um and he got he got injured in that first year uh a career-ending injury and you know this guy went on to he struggled in a lot of ways and and trying to find his footing again and when i when i met him we met him at well i mean jay had known him for a long time but when he came in the mvp and started becoming a member like you know he was driving uber and just trying to get by and it was just like damn dude what <laughs> you know what i mean like i couldn't even like fathom it but it's like it's a thing, and that there's a million, I mean, a million. There's thousands of stories like that that I've never heard. That I don't mm-hmm. know, but it was, it was really special to have uh, him become a part of MVP, help tell our story through the work that he does all the time. I mean, he he went on to become a, a head football coach of a high school here um, in the Beverly Hills area. Uh, you know, is doing some other things. He he'd done a lot of acting his career, but he he plays this role in the film. And, uh, right. It was just like, he, he nailed it. I mean, he was like, he totally understood that experience. He was that guy. And, uh, yeah. Well, I remember having a conversation when we went out for drinks one night, cause I was kind of asking Jay about some of these guys. Uh, I won't say the names, but you know, some of my favorite players who were like amazing rookies and then they, they kind of, um, and then they just kind of like, they have all these off the field issues. And I'm like, ask, you know, what's the issue with them? And he's usually like, friends um friends from the past life who are still around so a lot of these guys come from tough backgrounds yeah and they still got their friends around and i think that's something that that is different about the military because when you go away to the military you get given this new set of friends that you're around all the time and you're living in barracks or you're living in overseas or wherever so you have that separation but for a lot of these players you know you're in the same country sometimes even in the same city and now all of a sudden you've got money and like, obviously people are not going to want to turn their back on people, but it's been really sad to see 
Like, I would say, in fact, I will say the names because all this is on the public record. Uh, like, Alden Smith and Josh uh, Gordon, like, two absolutely insane, phenomenal talents who, you know, just... Who, who have both been the MVP. Who, well, and that's why I'm kind of bringing it up, but, you know, and, um, you know, from everything I've heard, great dudes, you know? Um, but just, you know, unfortunately... And, and like, you know, you can't hold that against them because, you know, you admire the loyalty to the, you know, people around them and things. And, and it, but it's, I, I think that is one difference is that you don't get to have that disassociation when you're in the NFL, that you can't, there, there's not the clean break that you get, like, if, when you go into the military. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, you know, and, and these guys, they feel, I think a lot of them feel this responsibility to take care of their community and this loyalty, even if those people are, have some selfish intentions, those people in their lives, you know, are like, you know, you can't forget about, what about me, man? You can't forget about me. Like, come on, we grew up together or whatever. And it's like, yes, but you know, what are, what have you, what have you actually done to help this person? through their, their, their journey, you know, but they, they, they don't care. They're, 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 they're so, they're so loyal and there's good people. Like you said, that they often will make sure and take care of their extended family, very extended at times. I mean, that's what happened to Vince Young and Vince is, uh, he's, you know, he's a Longhorn legend, won the national championship, first round draft. He was the second pick of the draft. Um, he was second place to Reggie Bush in the Heisman voting, you know, um, goes to Tennessee Titans, uh, has a good career, play, only played seven years because he got into some trouble and things kept happening, you know, and he, he just couldn't, he, he couldn't uh, get things corrected from the off the field issues, but his like overall like career winning percentage is like 70% or something. Like he was a very efficient quarterback, but he just, it just, those things kept happening, you know, and uh, eventually it was just too much for the organization to want to deal with. And they let him go and you know, this is a guy that's got 30 some odd family and friends that he's taken out to dinner and taken care of on, you know, daily basis and eventually went completely bankrupt, mm. you know, from having this, this big multi, you know, uh, eight digit multi-million dollar contract to like not having nothing. And it happens a lot. You know, he's not the only one it happens a lot. And it's crazy to think about that. Cause I'm always like, how do you how do you blow through that? How do you, but it's like, you just trust the wrong people, you know, and you, and you let, you know, whether it's investments or whatever. And it's just these people that they don't really care about you. Like you care about them. And, uh, it sucks, man. It's sad because they're good guys. Like you said, like good hearts, uh, really just good people. And, um, so that's, that's, that's something that is very common in uh, in that experience and we don't really get into that any stories like that in the film because i didn't want it to feel like it was turning into a different story well we would have had we, we wouldn't have had yeah we wouldn't have had space for it either like you know because that's a whole film in itself you know there is i think there's actually a doc about it called like uh shoot called like bust or something like mm. that or bro i can't remember but there is something there is a there is like a documentary film kind of about that that sort of highlights some of those guys that you know really fallen from grace and kind of lost everything. So, bro, what what stage did you decide to direct the film? Uh, 
in the stage where I realized we had no money to shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we talked about it for a long time. I'd always had an interest in playing and playing a role, whether it was going to be, um, you know, one of the leads or at least one of the strong supporting. Like I was really interested. I'd actually had had conversations with Adam Devine, um, who's you know comedic actor, a really good guy. Um, but he's also, he, he had a, an injury when he was 11 years old. He was like in a bad car accident. His leg is like really messed up. And it, it literally looks like somebody that maybe stepped on a landmine or something. I was like, damn dude, like, and, and in all the movies that he's in, they, he's either always wearing pants or if he has short, they, they'll fix, they'll like airbrush it in post, you know, and kind of fix it. So you can't see his leg. And I'm like, I was talking to him about it. I was like, you know, it, it just made sense. This movie, like, would you, uh. Would you want to just show your leg? We don't have to talk about it. I wouldn't even put dialogue in there about it, but just like, so someone would understand like, oh damn, this guy, like this guy's been through it. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but once again, that's the, that's a movie with a different budget. Yeah. Um, and once I found out that this shelter was closing down, so the, the Hollywood vet center, I found out in. July of 2020 in COVID. After we'd kind of gone through some of those rewrites, we were looking at doing this movie for about a million, million and a half bucks. I was talking to Adam. I was talking, we were, we were reaching out to, uh, um, Anthony Mackie out potentially for the Will Phillips character and, and had some others on the list. And, uh, and then I got a call because they had told me already that they would let me film there. They were like, we'll let you film at the barracks. Like, it's an important story. We love what you're doing with MVP and what you've done to help a lot of our vets that have stayed here. Um, so, you know, we had approval to do that, which was awesome. But they were like, they called me in July and said, hey, at the end of September, we got to close down. Like with COVID, we've lost a lot of funding. They want to turn this place into a rehab facility, not just for veterans, but like more of like a drug rehab facility for for everybody and i was like man that sucks uh what are we gonna do thought crossed my mind maybe we just go shoot for a week in the barracks and get that stuff done and then i can fundraise later for the rest of it and shoot the rest of the movie but then i was like i can't do that because i have to know who my actors are i have to know who my leads are they're in they're in this mood so like, we can't like it's not gonna make sense so i just at that moment kind of made the man decision that I was going to play, I'll play the Zephyr character, which is based loosely off Denver Morris's backstory and AJ Perez's backstory and some other vets that have been to MVP. And I got to just find a Will Phillips character and then I'll build out the rest of it. But like, I don't know how much money we're going to be able to raise, but this is what we're going to, you know, we're just, we just got to get it done. We just got to get it started anyway. And, but once we're started, we're probably just going to keep going. So, uh, I also, when I, when I, when I understood that, like, look, I don't, if I don't have to pay one of the lead actors, if I don't have to pay the director, if I don't have to pay the producer, if I don't have to pay, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> really the person kind of putting all these things together. I mean, in a lot of ways I was a location scout and the, you know, all of this stuff, it's going to save me a ton. And so that person was me and I, that's just what I ended up doing. And, um, I remember reaching out to Christian Gutegast, who's the writer director of Den of Thieves, um, that I had the honor of playing a, a, a role in. And 
become good friends with. And I just asked him, I said, dude, I'm asking around for people I trust in the industry. Like, who do you think could and should play this Will Phillips character? Because he'd read the script and provided notes as well. And he said, uh, Mo McCray. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Mo McCray, Mo McCray, Mo McCray. <laughs> He's like, Mo McCray, he's in Dennis with you. I'm like, oh, that guy, yes. I'm like, you think he could carry this? Like, I was just worried, not that I think I'm great, but I was like, I knew I wanted somebody much better than me to play that role. And he was like, dude, Mo is unbelievable. He's so underrated. He's been so close on some really big roles, including, uh, uh, he was like the runner up to get the get out lead role. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff. And, uh, he, he said, trust me, just try it. He's like, Moma Cray is your guy. He's like, when I read it, I was picturing him and he'll crush it. He looks the part. Oh, he's jacked. Yeah. Super jacked. That was the other thing, dude. He, when I, so I called Mo within a week or two, we were like, let's do it. And we're like six weeks away from filming. And he, that dude put on a good 10, 15 pounds of muscle in those six weeks. Like he was just like, all right. And he was already in good shape, but he was like, he started committing to that role. And he's like, I'm not only going to work on this character, I'm going to work on the physicality of this character and how he looks. He started doing his trainer and him were doing all football drills, like speed ladder, all mm-hmm. the stuff. And then, you know, backpedaling. And then he started, uh, just lifting like crazy and just like getting jacked. And he, uh, me look, he was, he, he was, it was awesome. And I was trying to get as skinny as possible. I was like, I want these two guys to look very different in size. Like I want the, you know, he's already good four inches taller than me anyway, but I wanted him to just kind of really embody that, that, you know, that strong safety, just like cam chancellor kind of look, mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, I mean, he he'd just crucify you over the middle and he absolutely did. So yeah, he's a big dude. So yeah, that was it. And it was just like, we went out, we went from there and Mo helped Mo, I get, you know, he became an executive producer on the project. He helped get, uh, Dina and Christina, uh, Dina Shihabi and Christina, um, Ochoa, who are the actresses in the film. Um, he, he just helped in so many different ways. And I remember calling Braden about the idea of Mo and he was like, Mo would be great. It's like, I, I, I'm pissed. I didn't think about that. He's like, he would be perfect. And then just worked out. So bro, we're running out of time a little bit. I mean. I'd love to speak a bit, a bit more about this, but unfortunately, got it wrong because we got someone else on in a little bit. He's better looking than you, so um, I doubt it. Tell where can people see the where can people see the film? Where can they stream it? Where can they watch it? Yeah, um, so MVP the movie we released it on Veterans Day, twenty twenty two, and we had a bit of a theatrical run, which is really cool, and then it went to. Uh, video on demand where you can still see it there uh through amazon prime apple tv youtube google play there's all these different places you can you can rent the film but in february uh recent development uh, showtime licensed it so if you have showtime or you have a showtime package through paramount plus through hulu through amazon through all these other different uh streamers you can watch it uh for free on there uh, and that's been, that's been really cool because it's, it's, it's now reaching a wider audience. Uh, we recently sold, uh, the Canadian rights, so it'll be available, uh, in Canada, uh, if not already very soon. Um, we're still trying to get it across the pond, man. So, you know, if any of your listeners out there, 
uh, are interested in, you know, licensing it or, or selling or purchasing the UK rights and beyond, like, those are still available. But, you know, it's a very American story, which I understand. But at the same time, like, there's vets and athletes everywhere that really relate to our program. We've got quite a few, um, you know, we say soccer, but UK football players um, that are part of uh, part of our organization and, and, and veterans as well. Um, as well as, you know, down under in Australia. So, but yeah, that's where to see MVP, the movie, um, you know, we're also on social media and we have a website film rise is the, uh, is the distributor. Um, and I'd also encourage people to check out merging vets and players, the organization. Uh, if you go to vets and you can learn more about our, our, uh, our foundation and uh, if you qualify as a member, it doesn't cost anything. You know, we'd love to have you join our tribe. And there's more about the movie on the uh, vetsandplayers.org website as well. I'll link everything up in the show notes. And what I will say is if you're in the UK or Australia or anywhere you want to watch the movie, get yourself a VPN, a VPN which you should be using on the internet anyway, especially with all the stuff that you lot look at online. Get yourself a VPN, change the setting to America, and boom, you can access American... Amazon Prime, etc., and watch it through there. So there you go. Protect your online privacy and watch a great movie at the same time. Win-win for everyone. I love it. Thank you, brother. And thanks for uh, thanks for thanks for thinking of this, dude. Not the podcast, the movie. You know. Well, sorry, right, mate. You can take care of me when you see me in Vegas in a couple of weeks. Take me to the strippy. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it wouldn't happen without you, bro. But yeah, not, yeah, that's the piece. Well, well team, team effort, mate, which is what was so cool about it. That's, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed doing it. And it's not the only one we've been, we've been working on. We got over, yeah, we got over buns in the oven. So watch the space <laughs> on, on that one. But mate, I'm looking forward to seeing you, mate. It'll be a couple. I think it's like two weeks. Is it two weeks? I'll be seeing you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to, you know, like we mentioned quickly, the uh, that the unit that it's about two seven. You know, we're going to be screening it to that battalion um, and a few other Marines out in 29 Palms. So that'd be really special. That'll be, it'll be one of the top screenings you know, we were able to do. I mean, obviously the premiere was great and all that, but this is really personal and special. So I'm looking forward to seeing you and bringing it out there to 29 Palms. Yeah, I, I hadn't even clicked when you said it was too, I hadn't even clicked. So yeah, that's going to be really special. I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. that, bro. That'll be, I'm really cool. I'm going to be able to make it out to that. Uh, but bro, I'll have to let you go now, mate. I love you. I'll catch you soon, bro. And uh, listeners, catch you next time. We love you, bye. Love you more.